the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Don't despise the difficult seasons of life because that is where God polishes those who are His. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. And now for today's Core Truth, let's jump right into our study in the book of James chapter 1. I entitled this message, The Reality of Life. Now, reality, it's what we all wake up to every day, right? Reality is facing the real issues that our world is facing right now. Reality is when we stop living in the world of make-believe. It's when we let go of imagining what cannot be. Reality is no longer holding on to the fiction part of our lives. Maybe it's called, I guess, maybe just growing up. Maybe it's when we're just ready to grab onto that which is authentic, the real thing, the things that we know are stable and true. When we're young, as you know, we want to do all kinds of things. We want to fly like Peter Pan, or we want to be noticed like Cinderella. I'm talking to the girls. You you got that. Okay. Anyway, uh, we want and wish for a life that lives out like a fairy tale that, you know, lives happily ever after. But once we start getting older, we realize that life is not a Disney or a Marvel movie. And places like Pandora on Avatar, well, they're just not real. Yes, in real life, we have to come to the place where we understand that. For the average person, not the spoiled child, of course, the average person, look, there's no free rides in life, right? If you want something, you have to work for it. You know, we're never going to fly on a magic carpet like Aladdin did. Uh, And the Prince Charmings in life, ladies, I'm sorry to say, are going to one day turn into a couch potato, okay? It's just a fact of life. And every princess will one day surrender to the throne of cheesecake probably, but uh, yes, there are certain rules that never seem to change. Like when what you're looking for will always be found, where is it? In the last place that you look, right? That just usually happens in life. And for many, the golden rule is just simply he who has the gold makes the rules, right? But why is it in life that as soon as the warranty is over, that's when the item breaks? Why does that happen? you know, uh, or the item that you just bought a week earlier goes on sale for half price this week. Oh, I hate when that happens. Or if we drop something, like it goes into a black hole somewhere. Have you ever just dropped something and think, it's got to be right here. You can't find it. It just, it vaporized, you know. If you're anything like me, you can't stand when these kind of things happen. Why is this so upsetting for some? Maybe us Americans can 
blame it all on the Declaration of Independence. Because we were raised with growing up with, hey, we should have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and freedom. Yes, we were born with an attitude, I think, in America of self-entitlement. We all feel that we deserve something a little better than what we got. And of course, it all started when we were just toddlers, I guess. And if you forget how the way you used to think when you were a toddler, let me remind you of your mentality that you had when you first started to walk and talk. See, we would think, well, if it's mine, it's mine, right? This is how you thought as a toddler and how I thought. If it's yours, it's mine. If I like it, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I think it's mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If I had it, I put it down, it's still mine. If you had it and then you put it down, it's now mine. <laughs> it's like, that's just the way we think as toddlers. Yes, without a doubt, we were born with an expectation of great things. I was down in New Zealand. And we did a lot of ministry down in New Zealand. And so between Australia and New Zealand, the countries are very similar. Uh, you know, I'd made like 14 trips down there. And I remember this New Zealander, we call them Kiwis, you know. The Kiwi said to me, because we were driving in a car, we were going to some ministry thing, and he was driving me there. I was teaching at it. And so he's talking to me. He goes, you know, you Americans, you know, you think you just deserve everything. I'm like, well, you know, okay. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not going to argue with you. He goes, let me tell you the difference between a Kiwi and an American. And I said, okay. You know, and he said, uh, he goes, see that house up on the hill up there? And I'm looking up on the hill and uh, it looked like a mansion sitting up there. You know, and he goes, see, when a New Zealander looks at that house, he says, I wonder who lives in that house. When an American looks at that house, he says, I'm going to live in that house one day. And I'm like, true. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So maybe it's just we're born this way as Americans. I don't know. But there's one problem with our high thinking. Right when you think nothing can go wrong, that's about the time that the whole bottom falls out. It was Job in the Old Testament that said this quote, Job 14.1. It says, man is short-lived and he's full of turmoil. Yes, without a doubt, we can have some high highs as humans, but we can also have some very low lows. And as much as we despise hardships, as much as we all want to flee all the desert and valley experiences of life, we must remember what R.A. Torrey once said. He said this quote, despise not the desert. That's where God polishes his brightest gems. Don't despise hardship is what he's saying. Don't despise the difficult seasons of life because that is where God polishes those who are his. Consider Moses. He was raised in the lap of luxury for 40 years. As you know, he was floated down the Nile River. There was an edict out from Pharaoh to kill all the baby boy, the Hebrew babies. They floated him down the Nile and who picks him up out of the Nile? Oh, it was Pharaoh's daughter that was down there bathing, and she picked up this baby out of the Nile. She said, I'll call him Moses because I pulled him out of the water here. And so she raised Moses from an infant. For 40 years, he was raised as the prince of Egypt. In that time, he was trained to be a somebody. 
Yet Moses, at 40 years old, had to flee to the desert. Why? Because he killed a soldier of Egypt who was beating a Hebrew slave. So he lived in the desert with nothing for the next 40 years. That's when he discovered that, well, he was really just a nobody. Yet it was at that point that God called Moses at 80 years old, this man who thought first 40 years of his life that he was a somebody, but then he realized the next 40 years that he was really just a nobody. For God raised up Moses, this nobody, out of the desert to save everybody that was in slavery in Egypt. Well, there are four James that are mentioned in the New Testament. So the question is, which one of these four James authored the book of James? Now, some have suggested James, the brother of John, that were the sons of Zebedee, uh, you know, the sons of thunder, as Jesus called them. But he was martyred in Acts chapter 12, well before this book was written. So it couldn't be the James and John of the disciples of Jesus. It couldn't be him. So he was already dead, which leaves only one other James that anyone has ever considered to be the author. And that would be the half-brother of Jesus. He didn't even believe that Jesus, his brother, was the Messiah. Now, you think a half-brother? Yes, because Mary went on to have other children. We'll talk about that in a second here. So this was the uh, same mother, Mary, different father, Joseph, because Jesus, God was his father. And you had to believe, you had to think like, how could his brothers and sisters not fully embrace Jesus? I mean, Mary must have told them multiple times, like, oh, your brother? Oh, there I was, just this young girl. And the angel lit up the sky. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, and Jesus says, hey, hey, favored one. Oh, I turned around and looked. Who's he talking to? Oh, I'm talking to you. What, me? Little old me? Yes, you're going to bear the Messiah. What? How is that even possible? I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. It's like, it's okay. All things are possible with God. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Huh, okay, be it unto me as you say. And boom. Uh, I'm pregnant. It's like she had to share that multiple times with the rest of her children. But maybe James was bitter. Maybe bitter for all kinds of reasons. You know, maybe when Jesus all of a sudden at 30 years old is telling everyone, you know, like all of a sudden he's the Messiah, he's healing people. It's like, what's your brother got some Messiah complex or something? I mean, it's like maybe he was bitter about the whole thing. Or maybe he was bitter about growing up. Could you imagine having... Jesus as your big brother? Oh my goodness. It's like, why can't you be like your brother? I'm sorry. He's perfect. Okay. So who knows? But it appears that James was next in line after Jesus was born, you know, to Mary and again, her husband, Joseph. Now, as you know, Jesus was born by Mary, uh, you know, like I had just said, you know, before relations with Joseph. See, the Bible is very specific that Joseph went ahead and married her, even though she was pregnant, but he did not have any sexual relations with her until after Jesus was born. And so again, now, as you know, the Catholic church teaches that Mary stayed a virgin and, you know, we are to pray to her. And it's like, uh, sorry, uh, let's take what the Bible says here. We are not to pray to Mary for anything. Mary was favored, blessed, was she in God's eyes. He favored her just like he favors you and me. 
And she had a job to do, and the job was to bear the Messiah. Was she favored maybe more than any other woman of that time? Uh, Yes. What other woman got chosen to bear the Messiah of the world? But let us not forget, there's only one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. We are never told to go to Mary, to pray to Mary, uh, you know, and intervene because, well, that's the mother of God. And, you know, uh, no, no. Mary had a job, she did the job, and she is blessed among women. But as you know, she went on to have many other children after Jesus was born. In fact, you know, remember when Jesus went to his own hometown to do miracles and he could not do them for their lack of faith? This is what the Bible says in Matthew thirteen fifty-five, And it's throughout the Bible. It's multiple places where it talks about Mary having other children. Matthew thirteen fifty-five says, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? And when then did this man get all of these things, these gifts? It's like, so they were questioning. They couldn't get past that Jesus was born of Mary. And now all of a sudden he's the Messiah. They couldn't get past that. So that's why Jesus could not do any miracles in that time. Yet something happened, though, to James because he didn't embrace Jesus as the Messiah. They questioned him, maybe because of the mocking that they took from their peers. But when James saw Jesus dead on the cross, and then afterwards he saw Jesus risen from the dead, something happened to him. He had a conversion, you could say. And not only did he believe, but he became the main leader in this new church. So he had a radical conversion, his brother James. This book was written in approximately 45 AD, which would make it, from what we know, out of the 27 books written in the New Testament, it would make it the first of all the books of the New Testament. It was written to believers who were fleeing Jerusalem because of their continued persecution from Herod Agrippa, that is the son of Herod the Great. Yes, Christians were under duress with much pain and much suffering. I wonder if you find yourself today in a difficult or trying place in your life. If so, then this letter is going to encourage you and it's going to uplift you. Or maybe you find yourself in a place where you're kind of in spiritual cruise control. You just kind of, you know, you just, you're a Christian, you go to church, you just kind of do your thing, but it's not alive and real. Then this book is going to awake you to a deeper and more intimate faith. Hopefully, all of us, wherever we are in our life of the Lord, will be challenged to take our walk with Christ to a whole new level as we go through this book. Now, today, we will consider three points in light of our title, The Reality of Life. Number one, surveying the why. Why do things happen? Why, why do trials happen? Why, why is there difficult times? I don't like this. Why, why, why? Number two, seeking the source, seeking where we can find help in the midst of a hardship. And number three, 
staying the course. Not being detoured by the hardships that we face, but staying the course and following our Lord. Let's look at our first point, surveying the why. As we read together, as we start this wonderful book here, James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Wow, <laughs> are we going to get into this already? Verse 2, we're already jumping right in the middle of trials. Yes, we are. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Wow, we'll stop there. But before we get into the trials and hardships of verse 2, let's first look at verse 1. Notice how this letter begins. You know, James doesn't say, oh, by the way, I just happen to be the brother of Jesus. Yes, I was raised in the same house that he was. My mother was the same as his mother. I came out of the same womb that he came out of. No, he doesn't do any boasting or bragging like that. But rather, I am James, a bondservant. Now, as many of you know, that word bondservant comes from a Greek word, doulois. And what does doulois mean? It means I am a slave by my own free will and desire. Now, as Christians, we all come to the Lord the same way. You think, well, how's that? Well, none of us are forced to come to him, number one. None of us are taken captive. God doesn't put us into a headlock and say, you're going to follow me, you dirty rat. No, he doesn't say that, okay? Jesus simply says to every single person on planet earth, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden and burdened down, and I will give you rest. It's a choice. Amen. It's a choice. We can come or we cannot come. No one is forced to come to Jesus. Jesus also said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. I I come. I'm knocking at the door of your heart. Notice Jesus never said, I come to the door of your heart as the big bad wolf. And I'm going to huff and I'm going to puff and I'm going to blow the door down. And I'm coming in because I created you. I make your heart beat with no batteries and I'm just going to move right in. No, he doesn't do that. He comes and he knocks. If you don't want him, he goes to the next door. No, not all, you know, are going to come to Christ. The Bible says that the road to destruction is wide, and there's many that, that go that way. And the road to life is narrow, and there's only a few that go that way. Why is that? Because being a Christian means that we have all have to do what? We have to deny ourselves. We have to humble ourselves before God. God says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what did I have to do when I came to know Christ? I had to humble myself. I had to say, I have sinned. Oh, God, have mercy on me. I had to recognize my place in my position. Maybe you came to Christ in some other way. Well, maybe you didn't come the right way. Because when we come to Christ, it's acknowledging who we are. I have sinned. There's no conceivable way I could get to heaven outside of Christ. 
All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have to confess our sin. The word confess means we have to agree with God. I am the dirty rat. I have done things that are wrong. And we have to be willing to submit ourselves to him in every aspect of life. The Bible says, if you wish to come after me, you have to deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. Because if you don't, you will lose your life. I wonder if that's happened in your life. Because that's what happened to James, the physical half-brother of Jesus. He had to humble himself. He had to come to the point where, hey, listen, it doesn't matter if I was born out of the same womb. I need you as my Savior. Oh, forgive me. We are to become slaves by our own free will to him. And for those who might think, oh, wait a second, Pastor, you're going off the deep end here. I would never be a slave to anybody or anything. Well, let's just say, maybe not so much. I would say everybody is already a slave to something. You are a slave already because everybody sins. And the Bible says that if we have sinned, then we have become a slave to that sin. The Bible says in 2 Peter 2.19, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For what a man is overcome with, by that he is enslaved. So your own life, your own life, what you watch, what you do, what you approve of others doing that might be wrong, whatever vice that you've come under, maybe you're a gossiper, maybe it's some kind of alcohol, drugs, maybe you watch things that you shouldn't be watching. All of these things, it's like we are all subject to something in sin. See, when I was a heathen dog, it's like I didn't think I had any problems with anything. It's like I could stop anything that I wanted to at any time. It's not until you try to stop something that you realize that you are actually a slave to that thing. So when I came to know Christ as my Savior, let's just say I was doing everything wrong. I had already gotten a girl pregnant in high school. I was already into drugs and drinking and you know taking speed. Imagine me on speed. Oh, that's a scary thought. Anyway, but all of these things that I was doing, I was stealing from my employer. I cussed. I did. Yeah. You know, I mean, what wasn't I doing wrong? So when I came to Christ, I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. Okay, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. And then all of a sudden, you realize not everything's so easy to get rid of. See, when you're just in sin and you're just doing everything, it's like you don't think there's any problem with anything. Try stopping doing what you're doing. Try taking some of the vices that you have and just saying, I'm going to quit cold turkey. Try to like never gossip about someone. Look, I don't gossip. Oh, really? People talking, hey, what about Joe Blow over there? What an idiot. Yeah, you're right. He's a bonehead. You know, and it's like, you know, you just, there's so many things that we do that we don't even think that it's wrong and like, oh, it's wrong. It's like never think a bad thought towards someone. Well, where'd you get your license? Kmart, blue light special? Like, who, who lets you drive on the road? Okay, it's like all of these things, we will be judged for everything and not just the item, but the motive, what we were thinking behind it. We are so guilty. When you start looking at our life compared to what true holiness is, you realize how far and how wide the gap is between the two. And for those that are trying to wrap your mind around this mentality of being a slave by your own free will and desire, know this, it's not a slave that's being the problem. Because if you're a slave and God's the slave master, man, 
Of course you want to be his slave. Yes, Lord, whatever you want. Absolutely, because he is so loving, he's so kind, he's so generous. It's like, oh my goodness. And every place that you see the word servant, almost every single place in the Bible where you see the word servant, it's the, it's the Greek word doulois. So it's really a slave. So slave and servant is kind of the same thing. So you know, if you're totally up in arms with the word slave because it's so, you know, oh my goodness, it's just like the, the 21st century wrong word to say. But it's like a servant, it's by doing whatever the other wants you to do. And when we come to Christ, we have to have that mentality of servanthood where he is the Lord. But again, you know, if there's any, if there's some kind of vice in your life that's out of a control area that continues to raise its ugly head in your life, which all of us have that area, one or two areas, you will be a slave of that thing. That's why we are in such desperate need as humanity for a savior, because we all need a savior. For when we become the slave of Christ, he brings us victory over the life of sin and death. That's all the time we have for this message. Please join us next time for part two of our study in James chapter one. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at corechurchla.org. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.